Hey guys, it's Liz Kelly. We have a new podcast launching this week exclusively on Spotify with Chris Ryan and Chuck Klosterman called Music Exists. Here's the trailer. Hello, this is Chris Ryan. I'm an editor at TheRinger.com. Hello, this is Chuck Klosterman. I'm a friend of Chris Ryan and The Ringer. And this is Music Exists, a podcast where we talk about how we think about music. Yeah, this is not a podcast where we tell you what music to listen to or we necessarily comment on what's happening in the culture right now or what you should be listening to tomorrow before your friends do. This is a podcast about thinking about music even when it's not playing. Yeah, how does music shape the world you see around you, the world you feel around you? How does it make you feel about yourself? Yeah, particularly if the music that makes you feel things about yourself is Steely Dan or Black Sabbath. Or Radiohead. Yeah, that happens. That comes up a lot. Music Exists, a podcast about Radiohead. (laughs) (laughs) Available exclusively on Spotify. Sports have to clear the room. Stand up and walk now. Hello, welcome to The Watch. My name is Chris Ryan. I am an editor at TheRinger.com, and joining me in the studio is my survivor, Riley McAtee. What's up, man? You're my Jeff Probst. That, I guess that's pretty nice. That, if that means I'm ageless, and I wear, yeah. I wear cargo shorts very well. So here's the deal for today's show. Riley is here. We are going to speak about Survivor. The season 40 just debuted on Wednesday night, and... Um, it is no overstatement to say I don't know if I've ever been more excited for 90 minutes of television in my it's life. so much fun. Um, and then uh, Andy and myself are talking about episode two of Briar Patch, uh, which is on tonight on USA Network at 10 p.m. Eastern. We were joined by Allegra Edwards, who plays Cindy on Briar Patch. And we had a nice long conversation about episode two and how Allegra's role kind of expanded over the course of the season and, and, and what it's like to kind of audition for something, do a pilot, and then months later be like a pretty big part of a show. And we got a lot of cool behind-the-scenes insight into that. And then finally, we have my conversation with Veronica West and Sarah Caserka, who were the showrunners of High Fidelity, which is out on Hulu this weekend, which I've talked about, which I very highly recommend. There's also two really good pieces on High Fidelity on the site this week from Allison Herman and Rob Hervillis. So you should definitely check those out. As you should check out, two just like incredibly useful blog posts by Riley McAtee about Survivor preview and then a a recap of the first episode, right? That's right. And Riley is also going to be doing a weekly pod on Survivor this season. That'll be available on the Ringer Dish feed, right? Yeah. And you're going to knock those out on Thursdays, I guess, right? Yep, that's the plan. In direct competition with the watch. That's fine. Uh huh. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) We're coming for you. There can only be one. No, I'm, I'm, Excited that is an instant listen for me because this has the potential to be like such an exciting season of Survivor. And I, I don't think I had any skepticism, but I think my expectations were flat. You know, I was just kind of like, let's see how it goes. Obviously a pretty thorny previous season, right? Yeah. Of Survivor. And a I mess. think coming into it, I had like a little bit less enthusiasm for the show that I have in years past. And holy shit, <laughs> last night, it was like watching a really high-octane NFL game of two offenses that know exactly what they're doing. Like, it felt like yes. we were watching another level of this game being played. I had very much the opposite expectations for you. I I was very excited okay. for last night. And it just blew it away. I mean, that it, it's one of the best premieres probably yes. ever that I can remember. 
And it might be one of the just the best episodes overall, which is so weird because the first episodes are always they the worst suck. episodes. They're terrible. Getting You're into like, a who season are these is, people. It's so slow. And yeah, even if it's a returning season, you kind of already know them, it can be really clunky at first. There's 20 people. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and there's like always these rookie mistakes that get made yeah. where you know, somebody just does something like they they're like, my whole thing is I'm gonna make myself known that I'm the boss right. here. And you're like, dude, what? And yeah. then they get voted out the first night, or there's like somebody who's obviously physically unable to really participate in challenges and they get voted off because they don't want to be carrying around a weak player or something. Something always happens in the first episode where you're like, okay, I like wake me up at episode four or five yes. when sort of alliances start to develop. That was not the case last night. I always think that the the game doesn't even really begin until the merge, and that is absolutely not the case this season. Yeah. The game began, like, the moment they were on the beach. I think two minutes after, the, as soon as they got, well, it actually began, it began on that little season, island, really. because Propes was like, we're doing a challenge right now, yeah. and Tribal is going to be tomorrow night, which means you guys have to sit around for 30 hours talking about who you're going to vote out. Now, that could lead to a bunch of different things, but one of the things that was so fascinating about this particular season and this game, and you have all these winners, so nobody is like, how do you play Survivor? Everybody's right. like, I know what I'm doing. And even if they're pretending like they are a little bit behind the curve, like Amber and Ethan, who are two people who are like, geez, this game has changed a lot. You can tell that yes. they would still be like, the best player on any other Survivor season. Yeah, they had a good read on it. I mean, Ethan's head was spinning a little bit at first, but I don't know. I you really the only player who seemed a little out of his element was Ben in that one scene yes. with Rob, where he just got kind of like rolled over. Yes, but I mean that's Rob. That's so just let's talk about plays. Rob because that was the thing that I think I watched Island of the Idols, obviously, and Rob is on Island of the Idols. He and Sandra were. Uh, on an island like where people could come visit and get tips. Riley and I were both pretty critical of like just that yeah. as a conceit and the use of those two people. And they were sort of like kind of almost second screening it throughout the season where they're like, yeah, you know, like this guy's got to do his thing. But you, it would seem like they were very scripted moments. So this was like more like getting to see Sandra. Like I've seen Sandra before. I'd never watched Rob play before. Really? Yeah. And oh, this is how he plays. I, that guy is the water diviner. Like I just felt like you just watched him break people's brains. I really think he he's he plays, and I mean this like a total compliment, like a mop boss. Yeah. It's just everyone has to come to him. They all have to kiss the ring, and he just runs the show, and he can't even help it. There's no way for him to play under the radar, and he knows that too. I mean, he's such a legend, but just the way that he worked Ben immediately, then went to Danny and was like, you throw my name out? And she was like, yeah. And he was like, you know what? I really respect you for being on it. It was so incredible. Let's have an alliance. And she's like, wow, yeah. this is like how you do it. Like <laughs> yeah. he's just consolidating power day one. And part of the thing that was so amazing was how he was adapting. Because obviously Rob played in an era where there weren't like constant immunity idols. There was a lot less. Um, I think that the more new school, and they, they set this dichotomy up, this binary up over the course of the episode where it was like, there are these new school players that are used to all these changes and all these twists and all these surprises. And then there's the old school players, which is literally like you would sometimes just get a majority alliance and ride it for right. as long as you could. And it was unbreakable. And that there was like the first time there was a blindside, I think it was like a national event, right? <laughs> yeah. Now probably. there's two blindsides an episode. Yeah. But the thing that was interesting was that Rob was able to adapt because even within this episode, you and I over the last few years, we were watching, we're like, it's a pretty big deal if somebody goes and tells someone else what's been talked about. Like, yeah. if if if, I, if you and I are like, hey, let's vote Kaya off, and then you immediately go up to Kaya and was like, Chris mentioned your name, that's considered a, a move. 
And that, and that was, was like constant yesterday. Yeah. Yes, and but and it kind of it almost on the other tribe didn't play out that way. Yeah. Where we're kind of getting ahead of the episode now, but where Kim was going around and being, like, "What are you guys talking about?" And everyone's just like, yeah. "I don't know." Yeah. You know, no one would talk to her, and that was actually fascinating in its own way because she's never played from the bottom before. She's literally falling to her feet in front of people, being like, "Tell me what's going yes. on." It, it was great. It was just so great to see all these people. The other person to highlight, along with Rob, is Parvati, who. Yeah. Immediately was like, you know, I, I used to be the single girl. I could play the flirt. That was the whole thing. And she had just unbelievable success with that. And so this season, she's like, you know what? I, I have to play the mom yeah. angle. I'm married. I have kids now. And I'm going to relate to people through their families and stuff. And she's like, man, she's so good at having a social game. Like, yes. this just was seamless. It's still so poverty, but it's perfect. Because that was a big question coming into the season. It's like, well, she can't be the flirt anymore. Can she, you know, have gameplay that's outside of everything she's ever shown us. And it's like, yes. I thought the level of, of the social game yesterday was unlike anything I'd seen really before on Survivor because like I'm a little bit of a latecomer and I I don't think, I mean, you're talking about people like Jeremy who are like pretty beloved, you yeah. know, like, and Wendell. And uh, I mean, like players where I was like, oh, those guys are like the median. Like this isn't like, because like Wendell is like, Clearly, like, the nicest, coolest, most likable person on his season of Survivor like, yeah. when you watched it. And he's really likable on this season of Survivor, but he's dealing with another level of player this time. Totally. Yeah, it was him and Dom ran the show that season. I kind of wonder if he'll find a person this season that he can work with and do, and do like, a similar thing. Yeah, he was I mean, because it was so alliance. hard because, like, so many of the alliances yesterday were so fluid where it was, like, yeah. some people were just, like, I want to work with you, and then that would just evaporate, like, 30 seconds later. I liked how Sandra just understands that she can't kind of lay back anymore and right. win, which is the, how she won her first two seasons. And then on Game Changers, she played hard as hell because she understands she has a target on her now. Right. And this season— just came in to, and did the same thing. She's going to play hard as hell. So she's like, I'm going to just start spreading lies. Right. She goes up to Tyson and is like, Tony, threw your name out. Totally not true. And then that caused Tyson to scramble. And yeah. just the whole thing was like, oh, okay. Like Sandra has a strategy. She's actually really great at it's this. It's really strange to see like a season that you're like, this is, this is like 16, 17 players deep. Yeah. Like where you're just like, I, I can't even keep track because like most first few episodes of the season, you're just kind of like, all these guys are kind of blending together. It's just like another dude who works in Florida in like insurance sales or something. It was like a lifeguard or, uh -huh. you know, like you just kind of like are like, is this Brad or Ben yeah. or Bo? And and <laughs> where is he from? This is just like you. I, I'm, I'm actually really excited that they have Edge of Extinction because my wife and I were just like, fuck, I really like Natalie. Yeah. Like, you know, and it's like, but it seems like they've also tweaked Edge of Extinction so that it's not going to just be people sitting getting sunburned for 20 yeah. days. They're actually going to have like an opportunity to get back in this game. Right. Yeah. And and a chance to influence the game too. Although I will say, uh, you know, Natalie selling the idol to Sandra, where like Sandra had the option to purchase the idol for one fire token or not. Right. It's like no option at all. She basically got to gift sure. an idol to anybody in the game, which fine. Sure. I mean, Sandra... Uh, isn't usually finding idols. So now she has one, and it's like, I, that's great. I'd love to see Sandra with an idol. Like, so you what know. did you think of Natalie's decision to do that? Um, well, so she had to give it to somebody on the losing right. tribe, so that's why she couldn't give it to Jeremy. And I'm not really sure, because she, I believe she's only played the one time on right. San Juan del Sur, so she doesn't really have any in-game existing relationships. Um, it's a smart person to give an idol to. You know what I, I mean? mean Definitely, if you just want somebody to create some chaos, like right. I would give it to Sandra, or I would have given it to Tony, I guess, too. Yeah. Tony was 
another just highlight for me was him like nervously being like, I have to stay around camp because if I run off for an idol, they'll all target me. But, but course, the only thing he wants that. to do is run off but and look for an idol. But he's also everybody that. He's, he's like, like dying to yeah, look for an did idol. Did you notice I haven't left? I haven't <laughs> left. Everybody know I haven't left. Yeah. So one of the cool, the two things I really wanted to talk about were, one is the degree of performance going on in this episode because I think that when you watch first-time players play Survivor, they're so overwhelmed by the physical experience of being they're like they yeah. can't believe they're on television they can't believe they're playing this game they've been watching for such a long time you hear all this stuff you also just see like people adjusting to sleeping on bamboo and not getting much food and all the stuff that goes along with that yeah. it takes a while for their quote-unquote character to develop tony's actually like an amazing player in the sense that he comes to survivor and he is fully formed digging out the spy shack like immediately <laughs> you know yes. but what i was so blown away by yesterday or on wednesday watching was the levels of gameplay of somebody like Yule. And we could talk about the deleted scene that, that, that got announced, but Yule coming in, and tell me a little bit about Yule if people are like, oh, I haven't seen Yule, Yule play before. It, Yule, so on Cook Islands, which was, I believe, one of the first seasons to have an immunity idol, but it didn't function via the same rules okay. as this. So he, he is not, he is an old school guy, right? And he was an extremely strong strategist. You saw it this episode. Yeah. Running the numbers, understanding. Game theory. Where, yeah. Yep, all of that stuff. And then he won the season, and he kind of fell off the map. He's not involved in the Survivor community. I dug up an interview from him when I was writing my preview article where he basically said, it was from 2012, and he said that on his season, he didn't even really enjoy it. And mm. he sounded like he wasn't even watching the show at that point. Like he he was like, I don't, I do not know what's going on. I don't engage in Survivor anymore. Sure. He's been all around the map. He's like a consultant. He worked at Facebook for a while, uh, like like in a high-level job there. Uh -huh. I mean, he's like an extremely successful guy, a Stanford grad guy. I mean, and to have him back is like unbelievable. I think that fans were resigned that he would never play again, even well, though he's a huge fan. After watching last night's episode and then hearing about the deleted scene that didn't get shown that they wrote about in Entertainment Weekly, I think, right? Uh-huh. I think so. You wonder whether or not this has been like a 20-year gambit by him to like have a low profile <laughs> for when yeah. they have season 40 champions, all winners, and he comes back with like the perfect, because he basically arrives and he's like playing the rube. He's like, man, I don't know how to play this game anymore. You guys have yeah. to tell me. And then slowly but surely over the course of the episode, he keeps planting this idea that there is a poker alliance, that there is a group of these survivor players that appeared on like a really random like poker after dark, poker night, whatever yeah. that you can watch. I think it's, I'm sure like, I, I used to watch those when like the poker boom was happening. Oh yeah, I used to. Yeah. And it was just like, you would watch like Helmuth and like Daniel Negreanu yep. play or whatever, but like this was a survivor one. So it's like a lot of chatter while they're playing Hold'em. And Tyson in this video, and he's with Rob. He's with, yeah, it's Tyson, Kim, and Rob. Right. And Tyson offhandedly says, if we ever play again, like, this is the power alliance. Yeah. Yule brings this up as if all of America has seen this video. <laughs> yeah. I guarantee you that's not the case. I have no idea what the views are on the video now, but, like, I, t I'm, I swear to you, only the hardest of hardcore Survivor people would have seen this. And he brings it up like it's the Kennedy assassination. Like, well, you know, I mean, we have to keep in mind the poker alliance. Right. You know? And you're just like, who gives a shit about this poker alliance? But you can see it gets in people's heads. And they're like, yeah, you know, you always say in the poker alliance, we got to watch out for that. He brought up, so he brought up that. And so then on his tribe, it's Tyson, Kim, and Rob's not on the tribe, but Amber is. Yes. So she gets wrapped into the poker alliance automatically 
at, by being Rob's wife. And he brings that up, and he also brings up, hey, you know, there are all these players with connections. I don't have connections, and a bunch of other people don't have connections. And he starts trying to to form, like, the kind of lone wolves alliance, too. But him bringing up the poker alliance gets everybody scrambling a little bit. Then Sandra tells Tyson that Tony's throwing his name out. Tyson starts scrambling, and he basically comes over to to Yule and is, like, ready to throw yeah. Kim and Amber under the bus. Yeah. And it was like, Yule engineered the whole thing, you idiot. <laughs> <laughs> like, Yule's yes. pulling all the strings. Yes, and so he basically creates a catalyzing event to upend what may have been, like, a completely— like, you're talking about this survivor community thing. Like, I think Tyson and Rob are friends. Like, they are. in real yeah, life yes. or whatever. But the idea that there was, like, a over a card game, they forged, like, what would be a future alliance is, like, really bullshit. And you made everybody believe it. Yeah. Well, and just, I mean, may, I mean, maybe there is something to it. I sure. assume that there are people, that these people talk outside of the game, like, before the game starts. I don't think that one comment at a poker game matters much at all. Much less than anybody who might have played the game together. Tyson and Rob being friends absolutely matters. Rob yeah. and Amber being married absolutely matters. Jeremy and Natalie having a super close alliance on the season that they played together matters. But Yule being able to just undermine all of that instantly, it's right. like, oh, this guy's a genius. And I, I was surprised because he was one of the players who I identified as a big threat to sure. win. And I figured he would actually kind of have a target on his back because he was such an impressive player in the season that he won and nobody talked about him. Yeah. His name didn't get brought up at because all. Because I thought he did a really good job being like, what are all, what are we doing here? This is crazy. Survivor, I have no idea what's going to happen next. Yeah. The other big person who I thought, and I, I think Sandra did this to some extent, but I thought that in the trailer for next week, you know that Rob oh, yeah. is going to be like, you're all dead. Anybody who voted for yeah. Amber is dead. But... Rob and Sandra are both doing a very effective thing, which is, like, creating tension around, like, something that may or may not be actually offensive to them. Like, I don't think Sandra really, really is, like, Rob lied to me on Island of the Idols. Like, maybe she is. But what it does is make her imposing and threatening and powerful to be like, "I'm, I'm pissed at Rob. And Rob is not an idiot. He had to know that people were going to be coming after him and Amber. Of course. So to him, for him to be like, "That's that you have a death wish if you did that. It's like, I get it. But at the same time, like, he's playing. Yeah, I think Sandra just has to create as much chaos as she can, or at least that's the way that she perceives right. the game, right? She's like, if I sit back, if I wait for things to develop, they will definitely take me out. So she has to make her motivations clear or, you know, seemingly make them clear and just try and, like, stir up dirt as much as she can. But, you know, Rob is actually not in the worst position because Amber is out of the game, so his big connection is right. out. He's like a free agent and kind of now. she can give him stuff from Edge of Extinction. Yes. We just saw that. She gave him a fire token. Uh, if she gets an idol or something, she can offer to sell it to Rob. So that's kind of almost the perfect situation. She's just going to, could be funneling stuff to him throughout the game. What did you think of fire tokens? Uh, I don't, I don't know yet. I mean, jury, Wait, jury is out. In case people don't know, Riley is a I'm uh, anti twist, anti survivor. I'm a real, yes. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm Oscar the Grouch. Yeah. Here comes all this stuff. Real yeah. curmudgeon. The Constitution says, right? Yeah, yeah. I'm Scalia <laughs> yeah. of oh, Survivor. Yeah. Generally, when there's like wacky, like now you can do this with this like ancient vase and find inside of it mm-hmm. that you can do that. Like you are like, come on, like play the game. Yeah, I am a little worried that they're going to spend so much time on Edge of Extinction and explaining the fire tokens, doing all that, that it'll actually start to take away from the game. Mm -hmm. One of the advantages to last night's episode was that, so it's a two 
hour episode and it only had two challenges and normally each one hour episode has two challenges. Mm-hmm. So you have like less of that stuff that can take away from what I find fun, which is all of the interactions, the interactions, the strategy, the character building, all the stuff that just happens at the, the, the camp yeah. basically. And so I'm a little nervous about that. I'm a little nervous about, you know, players on extinction, just being able to like hand idols off to players who are in the game for like one fire token yeah. or whatever. But you know, I don't know. Jerry's still out. We'll I think see. It's cool it might to change give as these it goes level on. of players something no one's done before. Yeah. And, and make them kind of like create the paradigm for how you would use a fire token. So like we don't know, you know, how how this is the one part of the game that they're kind of writing as they go. Like and, and it'll be really interesting to see how that they deploy those. And I know that I I think I saw they didn't explain it in the episode, I don't believe, but I saw online that players can combine their fire tokens. I figured to that was coming. something. Right. So I'm assuming there'll be a case where it's like, this idol costs five fire tokens. And if you can get, you know, maybe you're in the alliance with five and somebody else has six, maybe you can like pull everybody together, but only if they all agree. There's also questions about whether or not you want to get things for the collective or for your individual self. Right. Because there's like, Natalie was, I mean, obviously the the menu she was reading at Extinction was like a six pack of beer or, yeah. uh, you know, like more shelter and, and stuff like that. Yeah. I think that as these tribes go on and get a little bit more developed, there might be some people who are like, let's make a better camp. Let's make get more rice. Let's make things that are like a little bit more shareable versus people who might like be like, I don't know, I might go for like a personal jar of peanut butter or, you know, like a personal, like maybe I get a reward chat, like a reward day that yeah. nobody else gets and I get to revitalize myself and not worry about other people. It's I really, almost like the loved ones visit. I really wonder if with players that are are – this high level and have succeeded so much if they will all just hold out for any advantage right. Right. in the actual in the actual game, right? Not a reward, but a an idol or a vote steal or sure. an idol nullifier. They have a million advantages now, so who knows? Because you could even see like Wendell was like, I didn't really want to be the dude who could build the shelter. Like I, yeah. I didn't really want to be like the nice guy everybody would probably take along for a little while and then X out because I was like, you know, not part of their plan. Like, I wanted to play a more strategic game, and, like, he's already, like, everybody was like, Wendell Furniture, right? Build <laughs> yeah, the house. Yeah. You got to know, I, I was actually impressed with Wendell and I just thought he did a good job. playing cool there. Like, you got to know what you're good at at some point and right. play to your strengths. Probably would have been weird if he was like, I don't really feel like building yeah, a house. Like, I'll, I'll go hey, get let's, stuff. Hey, like, let's go off and talk and, yeah, like, figure right. out who we're going to off. It's like, that's not your game, man. You, you chill and you be super likable and sociable. That's his game. One player that you we haven't really talked about that you were super impressed by. You could give me, like, an example of, like, I, we, we've talked about Parvati. We've talked about Rob and Sandra. Was there a Yule, obviously? Was there anybody else that you were like, ooh, I like what they're doing here today? Shoot, I'm drawing a blank right now. I can't, I, I feel like I have somebody. Like, okay, so for instance, what about Adam? Who, I, Adam, thought, I thought Adam is a good no, narrator, I, but I don't know if Adam's a good player. He kind of made a big mistake in, in running off with Denise early. And I, I do agree with him that the whole tribe seemed to freak out about that a little too much. He's right. known Denise for one day. But at the same time, it's like, just don't make the rookie mistake. Right. Um. Like, come on, dude. I think, was it, uh, did Jeremy say that he kind of realized that something was up by Rob and Parvati's, like, body language or the way that they looked at each other or something? I, I didn't notice that. Like that. So he thought, like, you mean at Tribal? I think so. Because Jeremy was asking knew... Ben what happened. Yeah, and ben, ben was like, hey, we'll talk. Yeah, we'll talk. right. Um, yeah, I don't know. Michelle was my winner pick before the season, and she kind of fell off the map in this episode a I mean, little she bit. Got, she was seeing we'll ghosts. See. 
Sam Darnold-esque yeah, out I there at Tribal. <laughs> there, yeah, yeah. She got left out of the vote. Uh, very unfortunate for her. Yeah, I don't know. It was interesting. I mean, I feel like the big players really sucked up a lot of the oxygen, even though everybody got some time. Right. Yeah, like even Sarah, who doesn't talk a ton, but like was obviously really strong in that yeah, challenge. Yeah, Sarah won the challenge yeah. for him. I mean, Sarah is one of those, her Game Changers win was like kind of a wire-to-wire, she dominated the yeah. game type win. Right. So Because she had played against Tony once, right? And lost and then came back and won, right? Was that how, was Sarah, was Game Changers her second season? Her, yeah, yes. She, yeah, she was on Kagayan with Tony. And yes, Tony won. and Tony won. And then she came back and won the next time. Was yep. that the one that, and on that was Game when Changers. Sandra got Tony out, right? Well, yeah, that was the one when Tony, uh, in the first 30 seconds of the game, was like, screw you guys, I'm going to look for the idol and just ran into the woods. That's and then right. the next day, built a, yeah, built the spy bunker in the ground. That's and right. It was like, damn, dude. <laughs> and I actually like that, though. I, I think Tony could be good in that he's learned from Game Changers that he can't uh, go a thousand miles an hour. He needs to bring it back to like a hundred miles an yeah, hour. Yeah, right. Um, see although how long the, that lasts. The preview for next season had him potentially falling off a homemade ladder and yeah. dying. Who knows what that'll happen. I think it's also worth noting, we were chatting a little bit about this in the office this morning with Mal, is that this first episode was just like cut way faster. Like the edits yeah. were really, were like, it was like moving along really fast. And I think that just as a piece of like television making was like superior to what some previous seasons have been where they're like, at such pains to explain what Island of the Idols is or what Extinction Island is and explaining, mm-hmm. like, all the different, like, apparatus or mechanisms of gameplay. Yeah. Whereas this was just, like, pure, like, shoot this into my veins survivor. They did, a, they did a good job, too, with uh, editing in these flashbacks. There were kind of a lot of them mm-hmm. just to quickly give you, like, yeah, here's Ethan. He won Africa. Like, this was we're moving on. when she was, like, here's, not a mom. Yeah, right. Here's the poker night. Yeah, right. <laughs> it was like, oh, wow, they actually got the footage of the poker night? Like, that's how big of a deal this is. Right. And um, you don't get that when you're watching regular people play because they're like, yeah, you, know, you haven't been filming me while I'm at, right, like, my, no. like, my scranton Wilkes-Barre paper place. <laughs> Here they know? are in their cubicle working. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, it's not in there. I will say, I think some of the under-radar players who impressed, I think that Danny— knowing immediately that she had to tell Rob the truth really worked out well because that could have been, as you were saying, like a big moment. And she just immediately was like, yeah, I said your name. And like it didn't matter. She Um, probably would get, I bet she gets voted out if she lies to Rob in that moment. And I think, yeah, I think she definitely makes makes an enemy that is unwise, which is part of how Rob has so much power in the games. He's so intimidating. You don't want to be the person who throws out his name. It's like Natalie literally like competed twice in the swimming challenge. Uh-huh. Is a is like has won, but so is everybody else. Natalie gets caught with the flack of that moment because she wasn't really doing anything. She wasn't really a part of that until people were just like, "Yeah, Jeremy and Natalie are friends. So let's get one of those guys out." Right. It totally shifted the whole thing. Yeah. And then I think um, Tyson understanding that he had to like kind of throw his existing connections yeah. because he also he was another he's wire, been wire guy. very involved in like podcast community around Survivor and all that stuff. He's super involved. And so he has all of these connections too. And I think that, I think it might've been more than just the poker night thing Mm -hmm. as well. It's like, hey, you know, you just know a lot of people. And him being like, I'll throw them all under the bus. It's actually kind of a smart move for him to be like, yeah, he's here to play the game that's right in front of him, not everything else. It's a tribute to how good last night's episode was in that I'm almost like prematurely disappointed in next season because I'm like, how is it ever going to be this good? I know. But yeah, like I'm so excited to hear your pod on Thursdays. Yeah, so we're going to do, it'll be me. 
hosting. Yeah. And I'll rotate through different Ringer staffers who are watching the show and uh, every week so we can just talk about it, have a fresh voice. Maybe you can come on my pod Riley, for once, Literally Chris. anytime, man. What a nice role <laughs> reversal for us. <laughs> I would love that, man. This is I'm really excited about this season and it's, you know, yeah. I mean, Andy and I always talk about this with like Outsider and Sunday Night Shows. It's so cool to have a show that's like worthy of watching live pretty much on a Wednesday night. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's like there's not a ton of stuff on TV where you're like, I have to see this. I, I was kind of like a little bit behind. But then like as soon as I saw people starting to slack and tweet about it, I was like, I got to get in this. You people know? are really buzzing about it. And I think that like a lot of the people that I talk to, their experience with Survivors, they maybe watched 10 years ago and then fell off and haven't watched in a while. If that's you, it doesn't matter. You can just jump into this. Season. Yeah, and I will understand say if you've the whole thing. Never watch Survivor. If like, never watch, this is a pretty cool way to start. Yeah, and I, I think that you know, read my preview piece. I'll plug that. Yeah, that'll get you up to speed. But uh, even if you don't, if you just know a couple of things about like Boston Rob and Sandra and stuff, if you've listened to this podcast, you probably already have enough to go watch that first episode yeah. and get going. I think it's going to be an awesome season. Awesome. Thank you so much for joining me. Up next, Andy Greenwald. You may have heard of him. And Allegra Edwards came by and we talked about episode two of Briar Patch. And then stay tuned after that because Veronica West and Sarah Caserca, who are the showrunners of High Fidelity, also stopped by and had a chat with me about that awesome new show. Riley, we'll talk to you next Thursday, but on the Ringer Dish. Thanks for having me. Yep. Today... This is the first of the what we're going to do throughout the season of Briar Patch. And we don't have a snappy name for it yet. Uh, patch talk? Post-patch? Yeah, after the patch. <laughs> after the patch. Yeah. Uh, the voice you just heard is Allegra Edwards, who plays— I wasn't supposed to speak yet. <laughs> no, it's not like that. And, and Allegra plays Cindy on Briar Patch, and, and we're hoping to have a guest every week about who comes yeah. in from the show and talks about the experience of working with Andy, his flaws. <laughs> nope. Nope. <laughs> uh, some of his habits that we would love to see like maybe he address in future yeah. work and stuff like that wow. Allegra okay. welcome to the watch <laughs> <laughs> oh thank you for having me <laughs> we're so happy to have you this is this is great I'm a little nervous I feel safer now well so the whole it's... thing is that we're, we want to have people from the show come on but we're also going to keep it like a pretty general conversation about working on the show but also the specific episode we're talking about so we're talking about two some of the folks may have been able to see episode two on YouTube mm-hmm. it's a great website uh, or on demand early. Really, we un- dropped. We dropped two. That's what I'm saying. It's yeah. like they're both. They're on demand. They're on YouTube. They're all and, out there. And one of the ways that I knew for sure that the second episode was available was through Allegra's Instagram because <laughs> all of her friends and family were screenshotting her in a bikini, <laughs> yes. listening to Samantha Fox and sending it to her. I imagine with question marks overlaid. Oh no! <laughs> Exclamation no. points! No. Oh, so much. Okay, they're like, good. what a babe, what a fox, <laughs> dreams, goals, my friend, my daughter, my sister. What if I <laughs> dreams and my sister? Just, well, I was just one account saying that. <laughs> it's just my mom. Yeah, oh, great. man. No, actually, it's really funny that uh, that came up first is that I was actually nervous about my parents seeing it. Yeah. Just because it's more skin than they've sure. seen since I've been born, I think. Well, no, they the, probably the first few years, but then yeah, since Yes, then, right, yeah. right, 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 right. But, um, but yeah, so a lot of love from episode two from my family, which Good. is amazing and a nice relief. Well, that, you, you steal the episode, I'm, I dare say. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. I thought you called it a steely episode. No, I said <laughs> you steal the episode, I dare say. That's high praise. Yeah. Well, I think she steals the season, but we're Oh, we're, we're my gosh. Season. Well, let's wow. get into that because Allegra. <laughs> Why did you let this happen? No, well, Allegra, and, and, yeah. and this is a little bit confusing because okay. I'm sure mm-hmm. some people are like, you keep saying Allegra. Yeah. We're not referring to pick. Mm-mm. We're not referring to Rosario Dawson's character. That was very confusing yes. to yeah. everyone. It was thrilling for me, though, uh, because <laughs> because I got to tell people that for the first time ever, 
Allegra is number one on the call <laughs> That's sheet. That's right. <laughs> what, what? That's right. And we were like, this is Cindy Allegra, <laughs> yeah. yeah. to be clear. Um, yeah. Interestingly, so actually using Cindy as a, as a, a frame for the episode is kind of worthwhile because, you know, obviously the experience of doing the pilot was a great experience and that we, that happened and then nine months passed and then we came back to do the series and the journey of Cindy is very indicative of this, the way the kind of the journey yeah. of the season went and kind of what I wanted it to be and what I was, in, you know, in like the happy accidents that happened along the way. So for people who have read the book Briar Patch, Cindy McCabe is a character in the book. That's not yes. the case for all the characters on the show. Harold and Cindy are canon. Mm-hmm. Um, Which and, is nice to read, actually. It was good but, to see that they were in there. But in the pilot, there isn't a ton for them to do other than react to car bombs. horrific yeah. car bombs yes. in their front, front yard. And so I knew that there was going to be a lot more for Cindy as a character to do, or I hope so, if we got to do more. And so it was kind of important to, when casting, like look for the short term, but also really pray for the long term. And I don't know if you believe me, but Allegra was the first audition that I saw on tape because she lives in New York. Well, currently still lives in New York. Yeah. And did an audition for a part, for the part, but with nothing from the pilot, with a scene that I wrote pretty haphazardly and quickly that was essentially turned into the scene from episode two. Oh, that's mm-hmm. so cool. Yeah. Um, and it was a little bit different, but more or less the same beats. It was the same. And and it's loosely based on a moment from the book where uh, Cindy comes on to Ben Dill. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I thought that would be fun if she came on to Allegra Dill too. Mm-hmm. And so, yes, yeah, so I get sent in the casting process, you get sent, um, I got like six video auditions and Allegra's was the first. Mine was second. Noted the name. <laughs> yeah. Well, you didn't show any skin. <laughs> And I know that about you and your modesty. So I, I, let it be known for the record, I was wearing a swimsuit. So were you? I, yeah, I was. Oh, but you had it filmed from yeah, clavicle but, up. Yes, which yes. is a uh, Zach Galler, our DP, knows that that's a classic framing. Oh, yes. clavicle yeah. up. Okay. Classic okay. self tape framing. Um, and so uh, she was the first. Noted the name. Thought that was a good sign. And then just there was I didn't need to look at anybody else. Can you give yes. us a little insight into like? And any given week back then, like how many like tapes are you sending out? Like, or how many parts are you reading and and doing and doing auditions for? Like, yeah, that's a great question. Um, so my representation is based in LA, uh-huh. and so I self tape a lot. I think I I self tape more than I do in person auditions. And at that time, I was probably busy seasons, maybe doing three a week wow. at the most on the high end. But usually, I would expect one a week, and I got to say, the self-tape thing, I mean, I, I've told you this before. It, I know I don't believe you when you say that I was the first one you saw. because It may have been alphabetical. Right. Your first name. <laughs> and so that's it, how you cast. So it definitely, I also am very lazy. So got I, it. To be clear. Um, but yeah, I, um, I don't know what it is, but I, well, I take that back. I do know what it is. I, for whatever reason, I am more confident in my self-tape auditions than in yeah. person. And I counted and to date, I've booked eight jobs off of self-tape. Wow. Where I haven't met creatives at all. Yeah. I haven't met a casting director face-to-face. It's just been straight from the tape. So that one, though, Briar Patch was the most exciting to date because it was, like, just straight away, you know? Yeah. Um, and I, I don't think there was a callback tape. No. Either. No, no. It was it was a wrap. And because, like, you're talking about communication, like, they're—, they're for example, like Jay Ferguson, great actor also, uh, audition. Mm-hmm. 
it was great for him to come in. And then he was in the room with us here in LA and we could go back and forth about what we might want to try again or talk about. Yeah. And so there is no back and forth. And what was amazing about her audition is she just, ha- it just nailed it. Like right. it was funny, but real and intense and weird and surprising. And there was no question. And then the next part of it is the bet we kind of have to take on each other because sure. then you come to do this part with no guarantee. I mean, we were only allotted five regular cast slots, which means if we cast them in the pilot, we lock them down mm-hmm. and contractually they're Right. They're, they're bound by the show whether it goes or not. And we only used four of the slots because uh, we knew the character that Kim Dickens plays wouldn't be joining until episode two. Right. So, but as an ensemble show, we had to hope that everyone would stick around or clear their right. schedules. Right. It's not like, sorry, Avatar 5. Which is possible, <laughs> um, apparently. And uh, so it was kind of a, a, a bet that the schedule would work out that you were making a bet on us that we would give you more material because to come up, to, to show up and essentially, you know, react to a car bomb well, is, you know, which you did wonderfully. R- well, thank you so much. I, uh, <laughs> but on the page, it was not a major, major part, but you had a sense because I'd already written a scene for a future episode that there would be more. Mm-hmm. Yes, and I was a good little actress and I read the book. <laughs> did you really? Yes, and I knew I because I'd read the book and because I'd seen the, the um, they call it a dummy side uh-huh. uh, when it's a scene from a future episode or it's just a made-up scene. Yeah, but yeah. Well, um, and, which, which, are also ha- which also happens. <laughs> I'm sure all the time. But in the book, she was there just enough. And also, honestly, I read the book to see if she was going to do anything that I'd regret signing sure. up for if right. I were to get cast. Right, right. Um, which is funny now to see how the role has sort of developed. <laughs> but there was enough of Cindy to, to make me go, okay, so she's, yeah, she may. I could get maybe a couple episodes out of this if I, you know, yeah. if I do a good yeah. job. Um, and not just what it was in the pilot, which was still plenty and sure. enough. And, yeah, well, and, and turned awesome. into more. And this is the other thing yeah. we're talking about is that then in the second scene uh, in the pilot where Allegra comes back to the apartment complex to investigate, I don't even know if Cindy was in the script as being in that scene. I, I guess you must have been free to have you there. Mm. But I don't think you had any lines or anything. And And Lily, our pilot director, was just loving – you correctly <laughs> in your presence and then you and the great Chris Mulkey who yes. played Strucker were just vibing. Yes. And when I wasn't looking, improvised an entire thing. Yeah, we had bits. And all of that is improv. So the whole thing with the guitar and the git fiddle and I can, you are my sunshine, all yeah. ad-libbed by those yeah. two. And we had a lot of different, we had a lot well, of alts. Yeah, <laughs> because I kept picking songs that probably had a lot of copyright issues. Yeah, I right. think I kept singing a lot of Taylor Swift. <laughs> That's yeah. right. Which was a joke for a while and I, I think I mentioned in one take, um, did you know that she's as tall as I am? We're the same height, <laughs> which is true. She yeah. is. That's just me. But I had to. I think I had to pick a song that wasn't gonna completely sued out of existence. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, um, but also, other fun fact that I believe the day you arrived to stay at the hotel in Albuquerque, you ran into Michelle Weaver, who played Felicity. Actually, it's even better than that. Yeah, I ran into her in the makeup trailer. Um, oh, like five in the morning? Or well, it was, I think we were either testing hair and makeup oh, yeah. maybe on set. Um, because, yeah, I remember this so vividly, actually. I was in my costume, which mm-hmm. is unicorn shorts that are kind of designed for an eight-year-old, I think. <laughs> and then— um, And it only got classier from oh, there. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> we were only on episode <laughs> two, right. guys. Buckle in. Um, and then a tank top that it looks like it's a lattice— sort of cross-hatch to, you know, trap the bosoms uh-huh. and show them at the same time. Um, and Catch and release, catch and like, release, like we say in the hunting community. Yes. <laughs> Is that fishing? Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Both. I'm not in any of those communities. <laughs> um, and 
so I'm I'm I've got some bruises on, and I think I've got um, yeah, my Lily, test hair. And, Lily made it darker. Oh yeah, she was like yellow up her teeth. I want to see some STDs on her mouth. <laughs> you know, like super <laughs> super vile. Keep it vivid. Yeah. yeah. Right. In Lily's defense, she also wanted. Uh, Jay Ferguson to have be missing a tooth and have a teardrop tattoo like Little Wayne. Oh, okay. so, so it's a conversation. Goodness, right. yes. Yeah. Some things you keep, some mm-hmm. things so you this toss. So this would have been the Harmony Korean version of this <laughs> yeah. of this show. Okay, mm-hmm. yeah. So um, let me back up. Michelle Weaver and I, who plays Felicity Dill, we went to college together oh, at no way. Pepperdine University, and she was just a couple years behind me in school. She and I did the musical Thoroughly Modern Millie together. Oh, sure. I was Mrs. Mears, and she was in the ensemble. Chris is a big um, Broadway guy now. He yeah, was singing I'm Oklahoma. Developing, yeah, I know. I was singing. <laughs> okay, L A H O M A. Wow. Yeah. Um, so I walk into the makeup trailer, and uh, I'm dressed, you know, as Cindy. And Michelle Weaver turns around. I have no idea that she was going to be there. And I'm like, Michelle, what are you? Are you? And she's like, Allegra. <laughs> and then she says, What are you wearing? As if it, as if maybe these were my street clothes that you had made some choices. Like I just leaving. Yeah. Yes, right. that it wasn't a costume. You're and working at a Carl's Jr. Yes, like, yeah. I'm flipping burgers. Yeah. I, and and I'm like, I'm playing. I'm your tenant. You're my landlady. You're going to die in front of me, you know? (laughs) And she's like, this is crazy. This is crazy. We went out for lunch. It was great. And then you came into the trailer right after that moment, like minutes later. I was also wearing the unicorn outfit because I believe in solidarity (laughs) with my actors. Thank you so much Mm -hmm. for that, by the way. Some people call it brave. I don't use that He's also enrolled in Pepperdine. So (laughs) continuing ed. Wow. It's getting getting really interwoven. Mm -hmm. And, um, And he came in, and I remember asking you. I was like, can I ask you? Can mm. I I don't know why I was cast. What in particular was there anything because when you go into a self tape blind and you get cast with no feedback mm-hmm. just like we love it. It's hard to know what about it was effective. Sure. And um and you can still go with what you did, but if it's a different scene, it's hard to know what elements of that second scene, that dummy side you can bring into mm-hmm. um the scene that you're shooting. And we had a great conversation, and and that was actually the first time that I'd ever asked someone directly, what is it that you like about me? (laughs) I'd like to start asking people that, too. I think that would get me further in my personal relationship. So, you know, as your role expands over the course of the season, and I do want to get into specific stuff about episode two, uh, but what's it like to kind of like— I remember when I came down to the set, you were there— but are you spending like three to four days a week in Albuquerque and then going back to New York or going back to L.A. and doing other stuff? Or like how hard is it to juggle everything while you're still doing this recurring character throughout the season? Yeah, so I was flying in and out of L.A. and I would stay for a couple days at a time and then go back to mm-hmm. L.A. Um, and still auditioning, but because I'm on another show called Upload, yeah. which is coming out soon. Which we should plug. It's incredible because yeah. you, I believe, had wrapped it. Yeah. When we started. When, yes. And we somehow yeah. lapped it, but now it's yeah. finally, it's coming out. Well, I'm it's excited because it's at South By. So it I just, is. Yeah. It is. Yeah. It's at South By, which is so great. Um, but because of that, some of my audition opportunities have been limited because mm-hmm. I'm, you know, I'm I'm third on the call sheet in that show, which is really okay. cool. Okay. <laughs> All right. I felt that shot across the bow. That's fine. Just FYI. Mm-hmm. Just throwing it out there. Um, so because of that, I was, I just had more free time than mm-hmm. I knew what to do with in LA. But because I had just come from Vancouver shooting Upload, mm-hmm. I'd been living out of a suitcase sure. since January. And this was now, we were into September, and I was still living out of that same suitcase. Wow. 
Living by Rent the Runway. Uh, this is not a sponsorship. This is not an ad. There are no free ads. I've learned this from listening yeah, to this no podcast. There are, no, we no we actually ads. do have ads, yeah. but then we also have no free ads. Yes. Yeah. Great, great. It's, um, it's, capitalism is confusing yeah. to us, but we're— It's a democratic socialist podcast. Um, so, yeah, I. it's funny, actually. I really enjoyed just going back and forth to Albuquerque. That's fun. Because it was my exciting I'm sure there, for every single to. person there is a point of no return where you're like, wait a second, I'm going to lose my mind if right. I actually, like— have my own washer dryer at but a certain point. Or I whatever. always had an escape hatch. Yeah. And I know that for for others, it was, you know, it was a longer haul. Yeah, and it, this I guy. Mean, yeah, for you. True, but also and like one, like Allegra brought her now fiancé one day, which was yes. great. He visited us on set yeah. and was there for her on a day when she may have been yeah. wearing pudding or something. I like, was, yeah. Not, no spoilers, no <laughs> yeah. spoilers. That's right. Um, but, but let me just say, and then we will talk about the episode yeah. in the Cindy scene, but we, one of the things that I loved most about this was experience was you can't predict any of it. You can't. You can control very little of it. And sometimes the best things happen. I don't want to call them accidents, but they're things you never could have foreseen. And mm-hmm. so, Allegro went from the one scene in the pilot to two scenes in the pilot to being in nine of the ten episodes and stealing the show in all of them. And it's oh so gosh. exciting. I'm really excited for people to see mm-hmm. uh, what's to come. Yeah, me Thank too. You. I mean, like all the stuff that I've seen, it's 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 really awesome. So for this second episode, uh, snap, crackle, pop, snap, mm-hmm. crackle, pop. No to, what <laughs> to what extent <laughs> is there, because th- there's obviously this gap in production. Mm-hmm. To what extent, even behind the scenes, but also when you're working on it, are yeah. you like, I want to reset the energy of this and make sure that there's no dip in terms of like yeah. coming out of a pilot? Because everybody's going to, in some cases, for these, for a lot of people, they can watch the second episode as soon as they're done the first episode. Yeah. But also just to kind of be like, is there any truth to like you're reintroducing the show in the yeah. second I mean, episode? A, pi- a second episode is essentially another pilot. You know, and there's a reason why. And I used to, as a TV critic, I would say, like, you know, second episodes are always the hardest. Yeah. You have to sort of restate what you're doing, but now do it with an eye towards a longer story because you couldn't, a story's not guaranteed in a pilot. And I, it's all true. Like, I, I now see why I correctly labeled them as the hardest thing to do because you want to, you have to reintroduce, reestablish. Um, you also want to pick up whatever momentum and try and change things and prove that you have more to do, but you also want to be true to the story that you've already created. And um, then there's all of a sudden... I mean, a pilot is the easy, not the easiest, the most fun thing to write because it's all questions that you don't have to answer. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden now you're, there's going to be a, um, I don't know what architectural metaphor I want to use, a wall, yeah. ceiling, a floor. Yeah, yeah. But like, so for example, the biggest question coming out of the pilot, uh, or w- one of the obvious questions coming out of the pilot, even we knew on a script stage, is what did Singe know about the bomb? Mm-hmm. I had no guidebook because there was no second bomb <laughs> in the book. Right. Mm-hmm. And so I painted myself into that bomb corner. And so <laughs> cleaning him up, was yes work which we you can kind of feel do. when he's just like I'm cool just yeah. don't worry about me yeah and and, and so th- there are going to be pieces like that but we also and I and I can answer this separately but like we wanted to expand the world in other ways and also sort of set the tone for what we wanted to do it was the opposite of the pilot in the sense that the pilot I wrote in three weeks and I was like here we go the second episode I think six months or eight months after I'd written the pilot we had we were developing it with Universal, and so they we hadn't officially sold it to USA yet, so they gave me some money to do backup scripts, mm-hmm. which turned into backup script. Um, <laughs> and so I outlined. I'd never written an outline before, and outlines are the worst thing because mm-hmm. you go from, like, free writing in Final Draft to writing a stiff document that's about the script you're going to write. Mm-hmm. And my outline for this episode was, like, 24 pages, oh which is goodness. three times longer, as long as yeah. it should be, two <laughs> times at least. But I did have a lot of time to think about it, and so the shape of it, the scenes are essentially what, what I had planned mm-hmm. on doing, but, um, and the big change, I'm excited, we'll talk about this next week, 
episode three was the first one with the writer's room. I wrote two before we had the writer's room, although they helped me edit it and rewrite it. But mm-hmm. so this was the last, this, this episode is the last of me sitting alone in a room writing a show that's basically Rosario talking to weirdos. Sure, right. Oh. And now Allegra, the thing that I thought was cool, because I'm basically watching Briar Patch in a way, unlike I've ever watched a show before because I've known so much about what's going on through Andy. But one of the cool things is that I feel like I'm noticing things that I'm sure happen on every show. But the idea of like repeat business where it's like you get to have a second scene with Rosario and like mm-hmm. he, and that scene is like a little bit different and a little bit longer and a little bit looser and also like you get to experiment a little bit more show a little bit more of your character and learn a little bit more about pick can you tell me a little bit about how nice it was or not how nice it was but what it was like to be like okay we can settle in here a little bit and mm. meet the, I'm meeting some of these same characters for a second third time yeah. on screen yeah um what was it like it's interesting to have that much time go by. One of the benefits that had happened, like you had said earlier, I had just wrapped another season on a show mm-hmm. and had this newfound sense of confidence that I didn't have a year prior when mm-hmm. we shot the pilot. And so just feeling a little bit more at ease, being in the same scene as someone as incredible as Rosario Dawson, sure. I... um. I had to continue to to remind myself, all right, she's an actress like every other actress you will be in a scene with. She, she's an actress, and but she's a person. And she has a face that you want to fall into, but she wants to do the scene with you. So be present and do it with her. Um, so I'm grateful that we did it in the time that it, um, that it came because yeah. I think I would have been a, a mess uh, so, a year prior. It, uh, I know you're being honest here, but also Rosario kept – giving this goofy smile because she enjoyed doing the scene with you so much that we had to work around and edit because she's still mourning her sister. Right. She's just smiling she's too just much. Like, yeah. She's enjoying it and hanging way out. too yeah. much. Yeah, right. Yeah. But you know what I mean though? The idea that basically it's like it's almost more fun once you've like done the like introductions yeah. to all these characters well, have all these characters and now you're actually getting to play a little bit. Also, yeah. you yeah. know, Cindy and this is I don't mean this at all about your performance, but in a pilot, all the characters are basically just like paint smudges right. that might be something, right. um, whether you have bigger plans for them or not. And so it's important the second time around to reframe them and reset them. And so the Cindy that we meet in the pilot is a little bit zonked. Sure, um, yeah. And a little bit out of it and and maybe not as not as with it as the other Cindy. And the other Cindy is, the, the, the Cindy became is definitely on her own frequency. Yeah. But she is also bright yeah. in all ways yeah. and positive. Well, and that was really, really fun too is um, – in every character, okay, what's the part of it that you recognize? Mm-hmm. And the zonked part, the the sort of drugged up potentially part is something I'd have to <laughs> work on. <laughs> but the part that felt really great and juicy and, and also different from this sort of cardboard cutout sure. of a cam girl, let's mm-hmm. say, is sincerity yeah. and uh, genuine curiosity and we've talked about this a lot, a desire to make friends. Mm-hmm. That's what um, it came down to. Yeah. That's what we decided about yeah. the character is she just wants, it's very hard to connect to people in this world. Yeah. yeah. And Especially just in, wants in this town too, right? Yeah. Because you've got multiple explosions. And she misreads everything. And yeah. so the, the, the coming on to Ben Dill is in the book and it's pretty, you know, you just, it's, crime. Sort of, it's 80s crime It's a little fiction. grimy. Yeah, yeah right. Crimey and grimy. Yeah, and yeah. so what is, why, what are we doing it with it now? And I think it came down to just, She's actually being nice to you yeah. and paying attention. So you're just kind of misreading the signals. Well, and so it's interesting to talk about why are the signals being misread? Like like female friendship, I think, is maybe rare for mm-hmm. Cindy. Mm-hmm. And if she knows she likes somebody or that they're 
they're sticking around with her long enough to continue having a conversation for more than three minutes, mm-hmm. which is the the scene. There's this m- assumption that Cindy makes, I think, that, oh, we're going to have a good time together. Yeah, oh, right. you're attracted to me because right. that's that's transactionally what she's used to. If people spend a long time with me, if they want to, you know, fool around. Sure. And in this case, I don't think necessarily that Allegra wants to be Cindy's friend. So she misreads that again. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I, there, the positivity and the, um, the hope mm-hmm. was definitely more present in the second episode than in than in the first that's, and the, that's the way we kind of dug in and then once we started writing cindy in the room and people will see like we all just wanted to do more and more of it because not only could allegra deliver on it but it was always so fun to write the scenes that we knew were going to be fun sure so there's a lot of stuff coming and some reveals about the character um <laughs> wh- i do i do have to ask where did i send you like did i text you a video of the moment i decided i was putting samantha fox's touch me over no your... no no so i don't think so you didn't discover it until later I, do, I think I think it was in um, uh, an ADR session. And that was the first I'd seen <laughs> I'm so, I'm it. Sorry, and they, I like, put did it you up have, in a big... Did you have other alts if that, that had been? Yeah. Um, well, there was just a there's a there was a lot of stuff behind it. Like originally, the scene was indoors, and I think there was a reason why we didn't do it indoors. And then uh, it was supposed to be in the backyard with more privacy, but there isn't a backyard on that location, so mm-hmm. we couldn't do that. And then I think Stephen, who directed to, wanted to put Allegra on the roof. <laughs> which just didn't, which was awesome because oh, I think she man. would do that. Yes. But we didn't want Rosario craning her neck the entire scene. I feel like the connection between the yeah. actors would have been lost. So you ended up on the front lawn. And uh, so we had to, what's going to get her outside and what are we doing here? Like, like yeah. what does this moment mean? And the Albuquerque-ness of it, mm. which is really useful in setting a lot of scenes, in that moment really wasn't setting the Fast Times or Ridgemont High uh, vibe that we wanted to create in this right. moment. Yeah. <laughs> like, that that in this episode, and, and I think we were talking about this off mic, but, like, Allegra's traversing these different planes of existence. And yeah. This and is this world. Each scene has, and, like, a completely almost, like, different room and, feel to it. Yes. You know, it's it, like it, Allegra's yes. lawn has a completely different feel to— uh, Oh, sorry, Cindy's lawn has a completely different yeah. feel to Allegra's hotel room or whatever. And, and, yeah. I, and I like pop moments, yeah. so I just kind of wanted to... That's the other thing with the episode is I wanted to, like, turn the needle a little bit to make you realize that it's not just going to be, like, dusty country and no. western songs on the show. We're going to have some so, water ice. We're going to have some water ice. <laughs> yeah. And it's also... I appreciate that it's a little bit of a music video moment uh-huh. yes. because the way Cindy is consumed in the town is... The, I mean, is that a, that's probably a little spoilery. No, no. But, oh, no, it's at the end of the episode. You see me canning. Uh, this one, yes. Yeah, you see, yeah, at the end of episode two, there's a teeny tiny little portion in the montage with the amazing fish scale moment. Uh, yes. Dressed as a mermaid. And, yeah. and, and let me say, I still hope that we can find some use for this because that's a silent moment in the montage and Allegra's playing the note that, you know, she's a little tired of doing this and it's right. really funny. But we have like 20 minutes of full ad lib footage of her like discovering that she doesn't have legs or you do have legs. Yeah. Um, <laughs> there's yeah. a lot of talk about blowholes. Yes. I, oh, I started. I mean, I think honestly, this may have been the moment that then set Cindy off into a different right. direction. Um, I think I start. I mean, because I remember. Um, it's all improv. Yeah. Stephen, had, he was like, okay, this is going to be MOS, meaning we're not going to mic you. Okay. And it's going to be slow motion. So just do what you would do. Because the montage were. was scripted. And that was all right. I was going to ask about that. Yeah. Yeah. It was one line. It said, Cindy does a cam show. Right. And my little Allegra heart, my little, (laughs) I'm like palpitating going, Cindy does a cam show. Cindy does a cam show. That is so vague. I don't know what it means, (laughs) what I'm going to show up and have to do. And, um, and I went to the wardrobe fitting and I thought it was going to be, you know, 
lingerie, mm-hmm. pretty Victoria's Secret, Fredericks of Hollywood. And there was that section of the rack, but then— That Lisa, was for Andy, though. Yeah, yeah that was yeah. all—little did I know. Lisa did two sets of shopping every time. <laughs> yes, yeah. <laughs> One for them, one for me. Yeah. <laughs> Just so you can get connected to us mm-hmm. as actors. Um, and then there was another half of the rack that was a fairy costume, cowboy costume, mermaid, and a, and a robot thing. And I'm going, what— what is this? And Risa was like, well, there's an idea that maybe this could go in a cosplay direction. Mm-hmm. And that fitting honestly taught me so much about Cindy, just that fitting mm-hmm. alone, which I, I have to say, like, huge shout out to Risa because her, the details in some of these costumes that I get to wear throughout the season and not just in this episode, they're just enough DIY mm-hmm. to bring in that Cindy heart. Like, if it was too expensive or if it was too tacky or cheap, that would be one thing. But th- I remember that mermaid crown that I'm wearing in that montage. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's you're still got, like, hot glue yeah. showing. <laughs> and and it was all just enough to make it like, okay, she, she found this netting, spray-painted it gold, and then put it on her body to make it into a fishnet, you know. <laughs> and that became part of the character traits that helped us with both characters because we realized that Harold really obviously loves Cindy and they have a very intense relationship, but he also admires her mm-hmm. and respects mm-hmm. her as a businesswoman because yeah. she's an independent contractor yeah. and shows her creativity uh, and, 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 and highly values that. So yeah. When you write one, like you write that as mm-hmm. a montage— I don't remember seeing. I know you sent mm-hmm. me that script, but um, you're I busy. I was. I had a lot. You're of stuff watching going Narcos. On. Yeah, no, yeah. I was watching Narcos. You're like, going on. <laughs> um, in your mind, how close is what the finished product is to what you saw when you were writing? Oh, it's a total dream. It's exactly right. Really? I mean, yeah. I mean, so. I so mean, we should set the scene like this is basically from the moment. Uh, so Allegra Jake puts this record on the table, right? Yeah. So as as scripted, I wanted the, you know, the, and there's there was stuff that we filmed that didn't make it into the episode, but essentially. Allegra has gone through this rogues gallery. She's maneuvered her way through the town. She's talked to a lot of people, and everyone is telling her, you know, don't trust Jake. Mm-hmm. Don't listen to Jake. Uh, keep this information secret. Do your job. You know, don't be ruffled by the grief and all the other things happening. And then there's a moment where Singe says that, like, oh, he moved here to take care of someone who knows him, and that's valuable to be known. And she's like, oh. And she takes the wrong lesson from it, and she calls Jake because she's like, you're the person who knows me best. I'm on, I guess I'm on your team. Mm-hmm. And at, that was all as scripted. And then he he turns and says it's working. And I don't, I, the great Susan Park definitely improved her line as Daffy when she says, yay. <laughs> um, Upside down. But, the, but there was always a montage set to the unit's high pressure days, which is a song that I've loved for a long time. And I knew, would, I just wanted the episode to end like that and feel like I was kind of like, I couldn't believe I've never heard you talk about that song. Yeah. I don't think we've ever like listened to that song together. Because I was worried you'd put it on a TV show. Like I, there are certain Me? songs or anyone. There are certain songs that I just knew I wanted to use. I just put it on Narcos. Like, but yeah. like the secret. Like I didn't have a TV show, I but love I just thought that, that song would work for that montage and, though too. And, oh man! And there was a moment, especially when Jay Ferguson heard the song, where I was like, "This is never going to work." Because he was like, "What is this shit?" He's like, "I'm willing to dance for your dumbass, but like not to this. Like, what give did me something, dance to, the something with a more like." Like obvious beat oh, or okay. the dead, yeah. yeah. So, but it is a rare example, and we can talk about it as, as the season goes on. I would write songs into the scripts all the time, yeah. And very often they ended up being wrong, and sometimes this one, the one that ends the season, were right, right, and they fit. Or, or we discovered like we're later. singing "All of Out of the Woods" by Taylor Swift, yeah. <laughs> which, <laughs> which for legal reasons I can neither yeah. confirm nor yeah, deny right. its existence. Oh man! Um, but I, I knew I wanted that song. I wanted that feeling. And I also wanted to surprise people because it's not what you think this world is going to sound like, but it does in this moment. And I definitely wanted him doing 
maybe not that much cocaine, but like a good amount in the scene. And so all those pieces were scripted as the montage. And then to Steven's great credit, you know, he shot them really well and shot them in a way that I certainly couldn't understand or appreciate, which is shot them with the right level of movement Mm -hmm. so that it's not static. And like one of the things that I love more than anything else in the season is the shot of laughter at the bar and Kim putting on her hat. Yes. You know, and 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 just the way that feels and the way it, it's married to the breakdown and everything like that. And then the then the and obviously the performances are great too. And then this is also when the brilliant work of our friend Gina, Gina Hirsch, our editor, comes in because she loves cutting to music. She's a very musical person. This is a non-traditional rhythm and right. beat. And she had to cut it. Sure. You know, we had the pieces, but she had to cut it. And she's the one who cares about little things like when Jake is tired and hits the plant before he collapses, making sure that's on beat. Right. right. You know, those are the details that I don't have any type of brain for. But then she it does. makes a huge difference. Thankfully. And, and, and then ultimately, just the last thing about the montage, I knew, you know, it ends with her getting choked and the deposition being stolen. I wanted to try, this is, this is where the TV critic brain comes in because I feel like as modern audiences, when a montage starts, we as an audience are now conditioned to like, Relax. Take the seatbelt off. Yeah, yeah it's so like over. the, the mm-hmm. last scene of the wire season. So, yes. Where it's it's just over like, now. Cool yeah. Tom Waits song. It's Everybody kind of thinks about where they've gotten. Oh, we're yeah, gonna right. enjoy yeah. it. We're gonna see our yeah. pals mm-hmm. and then we're on to the next you one. You wanted something and I wanted to jolt people away. Play on people's yeah, right. um yeah, basically people taking their foot off the gas. I want mm-hmm. to take advantage of that. Right. And this moment is actually violent and scary and invasive right. and it interrupts the the good times. Yeah. Just like when you're comfortable putting a key into your door at a hotel room and yeah. you think, okay, I'm safe now. Or a car. Or, or a car. Yeah, <laughs> yeah or a car. <laughs> so I will say, um, I think this was Brian Brown, our, our great writer, who pitched this early in the writer's room that uh, in episode two or three, Allegra puts her key into the door at the hotel and the hotel blows up. <laughs> <laughs> and that there is no safety anywhere. Yeah, and then it becomes it's a hotel season bomber. five of Narcos. <laughs> yeah, and then we just get onto things that, that you like more. What else, before we go, what else should people know about ep- episode two? What was your favorite part about watching it? I know that now you've seen these things so many times mm-hmm. that like you don't, you no longer are coming to it. So maybe I should ask you, mm-hmm. what was your favorite part about episode two that maybe wasn't even anything to do with Cindy? Oh my goodness. Well, what's so funny is that I don't know if it was on purpose or on accident. I. I don't know if I got actually the full episode two script. I think I may have just gotten, gotten my sides. Yeah. yeah. Which is well, fine. I, I run a very secretive operation. Yeah, it was I know. super, super yeah. tight. Did you um, have like a code name for the show? <laughs> God, I, I wish I had a funnier answer for you. I should have. What was the Zack Snyder movie that was shooting there while you guys were shooting? Oh. Army of the Dead. Army, Army of the Dead. dead. We, shared, we, shared, oh. we shared an office but with that them. should have been your code yes. name. Yes. Code name Army, Army, Army of the, the Dead. dead. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Army I, of the Dead Knights. Yeah. You're kind of a little bit darker and seedier. <laughs> I loved seeing I loved seeing the scene with Kim Dickens and yeah. Rosario. Yeah. I that was so exciting. The bathroom scene? Yes. Yeah. Because there's this like discomfort with the hug, which I, I know which you so talked crucial, about a little yeah. bit at the screening. Um, which is crucial because the physical touch for Allegra is um, obviously so uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And and there's this interesting feminine dynamic that you have introduced mm-hmm. where um where they are both pretty powerful in their own right. And you see different sides of female strength sort of in the same area. And just being a woman, knowing those interactions sure. in restrooms in mm-hmm. particular, yeah. you know, is, um, <laughs> makes it I say, like, yeah, like, I'm like, <laughs> I know. I know. <laughs> Look, right where you know. Yeah. That's why I brought it. <laughs> makes it sound like I, like, have brawls in you, bathrooms you all the time. You people in bathrooms a lot. <laughs> yeah, I really You're do. Kind of a bathroom Look hugger. out for me. I also really um, like the, uh, the scene where... Rosario and Jay are are sharing the water ice specifically because I think you can 
do a lot of telling where you're like, we've known each other for a very long time. Yes, we have. We can say that. But then in the second episode, you kind of get a sense that they have known each other for a really mm-hmm. long time and that I, they did grow up together a little I, bit because they're like, the, even just like the way they stand next to each other. That's the scene yeah. for me in a lot of ways because also it was an opportunity to show the town. And, mm-hmm. you know, for as much as we talked about it in the pilot, we were very, with good reason, sort of claustrophobically tied in on Rosario's character's experience. And now we have to show this place. Right. And so designing that walk and talk and like, and all the credit to Zach Galler, our DP, and Stephen who directed it, and Richard Bloom who came on as our production designer for this episode. He worked in a different capacity on the pilot. Like, he built, they, this is the town of Belen, New Mexico, where we filmed a lot. It's 40 miles south of Albuquerque. And they built that street. And so, like, you know, people say, oh, that's so clever, the taxidermy shop that says, uh, you snuff it, we stuff it. Mm-hmm. Richard did that. Yeah. I, I did. I saw it the so day I showed great. up on set. You're like, so that's pretty great. funny. That's great. And that shot of Jake with the snow cones, the snow cones are an homage to the great. I keep calling them water ices. I know. That's water ice. Called, that's it's Philadelphia. Philadelphia. Water. You call yeah. them water ice. Water ice. Yeah. Water ice. Um, yeah. the, uh, snow cones. That scene is an homage to one of my favorite Actually, probably terrible, but I love it. Movies, Eight Million Ways to Die. Oh, yeah. Hal Ashby's last movie starring Jeff Bridges. There's an insane snow cone scene with Jeff Bridges and Andy Garcia. Anyway, uh, but like that scene where you see him in his car and the sky and it looks like a painting, you know, it's just it's just a beautiful and yeah. wide and mm-hmm. big and you sense it hopefully gives you a bigger sense of scope and scale. And the other thing that I love about this is is now when I watch it, I see where I and hopefully other people start to fall in love with certain things that actors can do. And so Brian Garrity, who, again, like, is an established and brilliant actor and had not a ton to do in the pilot, now can reinvent himself as what I believe to be our greatest, our generation's greatest physical comedian. <laughs> like, he never does comedy, but he's so, and Allegra can attest yeah. this, he's so weird and funny yeah. all the time. And so his, his energy and his physical energy, yeah. uh, he also lost a ton of weight between the pilot and the second episode. Oh my goodness. Uh, and so it's even funny. Like, he has this strange bird body now that's yeah, very manic. Right. And, and uh, so... Letting him do that and seeing where that goes, you know, knowing now where that goes is exciting. And also, all shouts to Lauren Weedman, who plays um, Barbara Jean. Yes. Love that. She's awesome. Oh, my goodness. She's awesome. What a surprise. She, yeah. She's so great. Um, all right. Well, we can wrap it up there. Episode two of Briar Patch. Yeah, you can watch it. Yeah, you can Hopefully watch it. Hopefully you've watched it because yeah. we kind of— Thank you so much for coming in. Thank you for having me. And Upload comes out. When Do you know when it's coming out? I'm pretty you allowed sure. To say? I think, so I, uh, let's say May. Yeah, 2020. Let's say definitely May. Yeah. It will premiere at South by Southwest. Yes. Um, and there will be a little panel afterwards. With um, It's created by Greg Daniels mm-hmm. of The Office and Parks and Rec. And um, it'll be on Amazon, Amazon Prime. Awesome. Yeah. But I also think, uh, you've said this to me, I haven't seen the show, apparently you play a very different character. Totally different, which is so exciting. I love that the world is getting to meet Cindy first. Yeah. Um, Just in case, you know, there's this impression that that's closer to who I am. (laughs) (laughs) Um, (laughs) Which in some ways, actually, actually she kind of is. um, Because there is, like I said, the genuine curiosity is there and a desire to connect, which... Ingrid, this other Ingrid says it all. The name says it all. Yeah. She is buttoned up. She's a germaphobe. She's um, she's kind of ice queen. Okay. And very self-centered. Okay. So, yeah, totally it, different visually and rhythm-wise. This is awesome. It, there, yeah. Next week, three is the only episode that you're not in. Oh and it gosh. suffers for it. But oh my I, gosh. Allegra is so brilliant on the show. And please know, I would love to take credit for funny lines throughout. <laughs> yeah. Because that feels good hurt. to do. But <laughs> chances are it wasn't—we did not run an Apatovian set. We did not do, like, one for them, one for us. We didn't do the goof-around take. But, like, 
And you, you got, know I would have loved to. You got a lot in. I, oh, my gosh. You got and a I, lot of extra lines in, and they're all the better for <laughs> thank it. Thank you. And it's I really want to say really quickly, I am so grateful to this man to here. To Greenwald? For, oh, my gosh, He's yes. Good. Not only because of the— We're cutting this. Kaya <laughs> yeah. turned it off 10 minutes ago. <laughs> Damn it. Damn it. Um, but your writing is stellar. I, I know that in the last episode you talked about writing versus handwriting, mm-hmm. I think. I heard some, you know, analogy with that. Yeah. And your handwriting is something that I enjoy particularly. It's my oh, flavor, thanks. which is a, a, that's a mixed metaphor there. It's what I just did. Um, handwriting is delicious. <laughs> yes. It's delicious. Is the reason you didn't have the other pages of the script because you ate them? <laughs> yes, I was hungry. I tried to get into that bikini. Um, but on top of it, uh, he created such a, an environment of trust. Mm-hmm. And um, you let me play. And uh gave me an opportunity to to try things and um and embraced my ideas which actually makes me have more ideas which is a really awesome chain reaction uh the more free and comfortable i am to play the more great stuff is going to come out instead of the really self-conscious yeah. stuff so i have to thank you 10 times over for for this role and this opportunity oh, and well, setting you. such a great example well thank you but your ideas are really good <laughs> and you'll see soon nice job okay <laughs> <Thanks>. <laughs> Kai, uh, thank Kai, you so did, much for coming. Kai, did you have tape in at any point during that? <laughs> yeah. Oh, dang it. Thanks so much for coming by, Allegra. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be joined by Sarah Kaserka and Veronica West, the showrunners of High Fidelity, which, you know, it's only February, but I've already, I feel like I've already seen like 10, 11, 2020 shows. And this is right up there among my favorites. It is such a delightful, funny heartwarming, heartbreaking show. Thank you guys so much for coming in today. Thank you for having us and for saying such lovely things. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Let's start with some basics. So how did this project come to you guys? Well, the God's honest truth is that Sarah and I have been doing this for a really long time. Right. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I was actually thinking about it on the way here, like how lucky people starting out in TV writing are now to be able to pick from 500 shows in totally different, <laughs> right. like, genres and tones. And, like, for us, it was, like, network TV. So right. that's where we started out is doing network television. And we were lucky enough to be successful at that. And we did it for a long time. And I think at a certain point, we sort of burned out on doing something that we didn't feel like was really our voice sure, or right. the reason we wanted to become writers or the stories we wanted to share. So we had sort of a come-to-Jesus moment. Yeah. We may or may not have gotten fired that day. <laughs> I, I, I think maybe. I think yes. we got fired later. Can you say what the, what, the, what the general show was uh, that you— It was it in was the Dick a, Wolf camp. I yes. got you. Okay. Let's say you, you open your eyes one day and your office is like down the hall from Dick Wolf and you're like, is this what we wanted to be yeah, right. TV writers? Yeah. Like, I'm confused. Are we doing our thing? Um, but so it definitely we, was either in New York or Chicago. And <laughs> we had a great experience there. Yes. And, and the show is a great show for people who like that kind of material. But it just wasn't speaking to our voice anymore. Mm-hmm. And we thought, what would we really want to do? Like, what is our dream project? And we put on a note card, mm-hmm. High Fidelity with a girl, and put it on a— Corkboard, yeah, because we're writers, <laughs> yes. arts and crafts. And uh, I guess the moral of that story is that vision boards work. Yes, yes. Uh-huh. I and, and I still have the neon pink note card that we wrote it on. I feel like I should get it laminated. Were there any second choices? Uh, we won't like speak of them. Now. National treasure with a girl? Or, <laughs> <I don't you laughs> know, like, <laughs> no, no. I mean, the reason I think it was interesting to reapproach High Fidelity now is because. 
first of all, the reason we put it on that note card is because yeah. it's one of our favorite pieces of material yeah. of all time. Yes. yes. That book, Something we bonded over. Absolutely. It spoke to us, both of us, as Rob's journey and just the world and, like, coming of age of a certain time yeah. and just the love for that story. But also— realizing that people listen to music differently now yeah. and people date differently now. Yes. Like, we grew up in an analog world. Like, I'm in that micro-generation between millennials and Gen X, <laughs> yes. if you've heard about that. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and, like, I kind of remember what it's like to not have an email address, like, oh, in yeah. high school. Right. Yep. And, and the first email address you had was, like, a paragraph long. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. No. <laughs> Mine was like, oh, I just got into college. I'm going to make it, like, yeah. the dot year I graduated from college. Relay, yes. dot exchange. Yeah, right. Yeah, put your birth year in that. That's smart. <laughs> Wait, no. Um, <laughs> so there's a—we live in a different world now, and telling that story in the context of the world that we live in now and when dating is so different and listening to music is so different and having a record store is almost like a relic, you know, seemed like there was a fresh perspective to yeah. put on top of that. Yep. Yeah. And the reason we wanted to make it a female lead, like, obviously, we want to tell our own stories and represent that voice, but— when you watch a lot of female-led romantic comedies, like, the obstacles tend to be finding Mr. Right. Yes. yes. You know, like, who, when will I find the right guy who appreciates me for me? And we always set out to make this show where mm -hmm. there were tons of Mr. Rights. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Anyone, and Ms. Rights. Yeah, yeah. Anyone in this, I mean, not Justin the comedian, for <laughs> right. sure not him, but, like, the other guys who are in the present day, like, any of them could be a good match for Rob. And the problem that she's facing is internal. Yes. You know, mm -hmm. she has to learn how to love herself, and it's a psychological journey that we're going on with her, which is so gorgeous and elegantly laid out in the source material, you know, in the book and in the movie. And to apply that to a woman and see that just seemed like something fresh and interesting to do. Now, I love the way you're talking about the source material because I think I've been thinking about this a lot, especially over the last couple of months with a couple of the blockbusters that have come out. But there just seems to be like a lot of anxiety sometimes when people are doing what we call pre-existing IP, right. but where it's like, well, I got to make it so that in the third act, it's revealed that this is actually like a backdoor sequel to Star Trek, you know, or whatever, you know what I mean? Like, that, I that there's just like, everybody's just like, I don't want it to be this, but I need to, the only way I can get it sold or my idea to get off is if somehow it's actually Batman, you know, and mm -hmm. I felt like so little fussiness while watching High Fidelity where it was just like, yeah, they just like high fidelity. Yes. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, yes. it's, it's okay. You know what I mean? Right. Like, right. <laughs> says it right there in the title. There's right. a couple of like bits from the movie for, that yeah, you can from see, the book, that, from yeah. the book that you can see. But like, good. it's almost like, you know what? Those are really good bits and jokes. And like, why not see what Zoe Kravitz and these writers do with them? Right? Like, right. Yeah. yeah. So can you tell me a little bit about overcoming if any, if at all skepticism that you may have had or other people may have had about doing this? I I think that there was never any skepticism on our part. I mean, We're it was not skeptical people, really. Yeah. No, <laughs> if you good. haven't noticed that it, yet. Yes. <laughs> um, and I think we were really lucky that every single person that we talked to about it immediately saw the value and the worth that we also saw in the project. Mm -hmm. You know, we were working with Midnight Radio and Scott Rosenberg, who was one of the writers on the original movie, as our producers, and— when we were talking to him and his company, they were just like, oh, my God, yes, of course this is. This is the next iteration, that next expansion of that universe. And when we went in and talked to the studio and, and pitched it at networks and stuff like that, everybody saw how it had value and it had an interesting new perspective on a story that felt familiar but wasn't boring. Yeah. 
So yeah. I yeah. think it was easier to approach because the movie is very different from the book sure. yes. in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. And obviously the book's in London. It's in a little bit of a different time period. And the movie moved it to Chicago. And like doing it in a new city with a female lead to me didn't feel like a remake. It feels like an expansion of the universe. Like if you think about it mm-hmm. as a superhero universe that like <laughs> yeah. this lives side by side with those properties, you know, and we wanted to have those moments that were callbacks and Easter eggs for people who are super fans of the movie and see like, oh my God, they're doing, like we always wanted to do him standing outside in the rain screaming yes. up. And it was Zoe who figured out how to do that moment with her character <laughs> yelling up, Cat, you fucking bitch, let's work it out. You know? like, <laughs> When we were writing the pitch, we're like, oh, we got to get that, that line in. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. how does that make sense? Um, but, yeah, so it, it felt like this was a natural expansion of that universe. You, you mentioned Zoe. Yeah. Uh, there was a point, obviously, when I was 20 or whatever, when I was like, well, I guess I can't, like, read High Fidelity or think about High Fidelity without thinking about John Cusick. And now the same is true for Zoe Kravitz, where I'm just like, um, that's just, like, kind of like who I see when I think about that person or that character now. Can you tell me a little bit about how she got involved? And I, I think she she has a, a, at least one co-writing uh, yes. credit yeah. in this. So yeah. obviously was very involved in the creative process of the show. Can, yeah. can you mm-hmm. discuss her role and, and how you guys came to Zoe Kravitz? Well, we pitched the show and wrote the pilot mm-hmm. before we had an actress attached. Okay. So we just had that pilot written and when it came time, we got a pickup from Disney Plus, who I want to just give a shout out to, to the first company that took a chance on this. Yeah. And Big, we would not you. have a show without, you know, those people believing in the possibilities here. And we all, I mean, I'd never yeah. even dreamed that they would actually make a pilot that we wrote. Because <laughs> we've had a couple that they haven't. Yeah. Um, so I was like, oh, my God, who would be? Our Rob, Mm -hmm. you know, and she was just every person across the board's first choice. And you never get your first choice, you know. No, we were like, this will be an ask that doesn't happen. You know, in our wildest dreams, could we have someone as talented and, you know, with such a strong point of view as Zoe? So uh, she was the first person we went out to when she read the script and we got the call. Like, she's interested. And we were like, wait, is it a mistake? Um, (laughs) Cool. And we had dinner with her. And what was obvious, like, straight off the bat is not just that she saw that, you know, this could be a cool streaming music forward show that, like, maybe fits her personality. But, like, she knew the movie so well, probably because her mom was in it. And she absolutely identified with Rob's journey. And I've I've heard her say, like, this character is the most like her of mm-hmm. characters that she's played. You kind of so, feel that. Yeah. yeah. How lucky could you be to get somebody who totally feels that character the yeah. way that yeah. she did? And she was a huge part of the process from the beginning. You know, we had a season broken out, and yep. we laid that out for her. And we knew that we wanted to do episode five, like, the from the two pages of the book about going to buy the record collection. Uh-huh. And she and her writing partner, Eric, like, totally vibed to that episode. And I think they hit it out of the park. It's one of the best episodes of the season. Oh, yeah. Um, so good. Yeah, yeah. it's so, so she her voice is present all over this show, you know, like yeah. from the story to the music to the style. And, you know, it's really just as much hers as anybody else's. Absolutely. It was really interesting. After we had our first meeting with her, like the woo meeting, we had a second meeting, just her and Veronica and I. And, um, you know, we were having lunch somewhere and she comes in with the book. And I just remember that the book had like a hundred sticky notes in oh it. God. And you're like, yeah. you know, she does her homework. Sure. She is yeah. prepped and ready for everything. And but she she's really— just, she's passionate about it, and yeah. she's devoted to it. And she spent so much time working on this project, and I think it absolutely shows through. So yeah, I mean, I, I think if any—if anybody just knows her from, like, Big Little Lies and 
Fury Road. Right. They're mm-hmm. just right. not even going to be prepared for, like, what she's like in this. I mean, it's yeah. it's it's so fantastic. And, like, you can just tell that even the way she, like, drinks coffee in this show mm-hmm. is, like, oh, yeah, you like I see you walking around Brooklyn. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah. I see, like, that's how people on their way to work at a job that they're kind of, like, mixed on going to yes. drink coffee, you know? like, <laughs> And it was just really, like, such a, a great way of discovering, like, this whole other side of her. You know what I yeah. mean? Her sense of humor, yeah. really. Yeah, so much of where we shot were places, you know, there are, like, in her neighborhood or near her neighborhood. And I think that that, you know, the fact that there is so much of her real self in this story, it just brings, like, this authenticity that is, that just shines through on the screen. And it makes you feel like you really are being let into something special inside of her head. Yeah. In those scenes. Uh, okay, so here's the question for the two of you. Uh-oh. Let's talk about your own musical fandom. Oh, music oh my fandom. God. <laughs> Uh, well, now we're going to date ourselves. Now. What I mean, welcome to the watch. That's all we do here. Uh, is, what would you, how would you describe like the role music has sort of played in your lives? You know, because like obviously, yeah. I think when you're young, it's like the central thing in your life. Usually, it's like how you meet people, it's how you go out, like so you know, true. whatever. And then as you get older, it just becomes more and more kind of like, oh, I'll listen to three songs on my drive home, and then like get yeah. down with my life, like yeah. What's music like in your lives, both at maybe when you were into High Fidelity in the the book or in 2000 Uh in Mm -hmm. the movie versus now? Yeah, I mean, Nick Hornby actually wrote a piece about, and this was a couple years Mm -hmm. back, we found when we were pitching the show about music being like the original social network. Yeah. And like people finding their tribes based on having to go to a physical place like a record store or a concert and seeing who else was there. And that's been sort of replaced now by this digital world that we live in. So the record store sort of represents that kind of return to analog mm-hmm. and getting to see these three people talk about their musical tastes. So getting back around to your question, I mean, obviously music is a huge part of your life when you're in your 20s because I think you're still finding your identity. I spent so much of my 20s like worrying about if I was going to find the right person. <laughs> right. <you know? laughs> and that's really what the show's about is like those 10 years. So Zoe being like just turning 30, you know, I think was like closer to that yeah. experience. So like, I don't know, I did my top five bands because I was terrified that someone was going to ask me this question. Uh-huh. <laughs> Same. Oh my God. <laughs> top five bands, top five shows, <laughs> top five whatever. But I mean, music for me when I was in my 20s, like I maybe spent a little too much time partying. Like definitely I was like a go-go dancer at the gay club right. and like promoted clubs at like punk venues yeah. and stuff mm-hmm. like that. So music was This huge. is in New York or? This was in LA, okay. like the garage, which is now like the Virgil, another like oh, yeah. speakeasy because yeah, yeah. yeah. we need another speakeasy. No offense, <laughs> Virgil, sorry. Um, <laughs> but I think I promoted a club there like once a month and we – let people spray paint on a big sheet in the back room, which we thought was like a really good DIY idea until somebody lit one of the cans of spray sure. paint on fire and uh-huh. burned the garage down. Nothing yeah. like spray painting indoors. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Genius idea. Yeah. That's like something a 23-year-old yeah. I think is a good idea. But anyway, um, Radiohead, yeah. Talking Heads, LCD Sound System, no particular order. Okay. Phoenix and Spoon. That's I feel like you wanted five. to do the top five. She I did. She was prepped and ready. Really, but I definitely wrote it down just in case. But now I've realized that um, I go shopping with my nine-month-old baby at Target at like eight in the morning. And I'm like, God, the music at Target is so good now. <laughs> and then I was like, oh, you're old. Yeah. Like yeah. for sure they're playing Spoon at in Target at sure. 9 a.m. <laughs> <laughs> I love Spoon. Thank you. Okay, go ahead. 
Um, I think that, I mean, yeah, my experience of music growing up was so, I mean, I had like kind of hippie parents who always had like a turntable and they were playing Bob Dylan or, Mm -hmm. you know, Carole King, a million things. And so that was kind of like my first foray into music. And then I remember my best friend's older sister giving me two 45s and one was, hey, Mickey, you're so fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, And then the other was Sweet Dreams, the Rhythmics. Yeah. Um, And I think I listened to those two things until, like, they were scratched and you couldn't hear them anymore. And I just remember being like, this is so cool. Yeah. And then, you know, you, like, graduate from that into, back in the day, recording songs off of the radio sure. by, like, yeah, yeah. And, and making your own mixtape kind of thing. Oh, my God. You don't have <laughs> to say it amazing. like it was, like, we were taking photographs with, like, a blanket <laughs> over our head. Like, I know. This was, like, 20 years ago. We made mixtapes. It's okay. I don't know. I just, for those who might not understand, <laughs> yeah. that's just how you did it. Yeah. We have a whole back. story about it. I yeah. yeah. Yeah, no, it's really cool. Um, And then, like, I totally remember when the first time I read High Fidelity, I was studying abroad in London. I found it in a bookstore. It had just come out in paperback. And I remember reading it on the tube, listening to my, like, disc man. Uh-huh. Don't ask me what I was listening to. Probably, like, REM out of time or something like that. I don't know. I feel like I listened to Alanis Morissette on that Oh, my God. That was, like, the yes. only CD I had yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, in, like, sophomore year of high school. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, and so that, that, but I think, yeah, I mean, oh God, top five, all-time top five bands right now. Do it. Um, <laughs> sure. Uh, you yeah. have to do it too. You do. Oh, okay. No, work yes, on you it. Do. Work on it while you Think she about talks. it now. You got this. Okay. Beastie Boys, Dr. Dre, The National, um, Ockerville River, a band a lot of people may not have heard of. Go check them out. Yeah. They're fantastic. Ockerville is a, is a wash favorite. Yeah, for okay. sure. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Good. Good. Uh-huh. Um, and then last, I mean, I guess maybe just going back to my parents and their introduction to it, uh, probably Bob Dylan. Okay. Yeah. All right. I'm, you guys, wow, you guys are both Top just five. like eyes right on me. Uh, <laughs> I wasn't prepared for this. I guess, generally speaking, I would probably say The Clash, The Stones, Wu-Tang Clan. Yes. Nice. And then, this is really tough. Can I look at least it? we're yes. not making it in a particular order. That's um, oh, yeah. Um, like, I got to look this at is my playlist. Super Chunk. <laughs> yes. Oh. Is that four? Yes. That's four. I'm going to say Jay-Z, but yeah. there's probably, oh, nice. like— I, I, I cannot believe that, like, I took my fear and I, <laughs> you just I made other people scared. <laughs> no, I was, like, so worried that was going to happen and I manifested it yeah. to happen to you instead. Thank and you I, very and much. Happy yeah. Monday. Group hug. Group hug. There's a thing that you guys were talking about in the beginning that I really wanted to get back to, and I'm so happy you brought it up, which is the different ways people make television now versus mm-hmm. when you two probably got your start and mm-hmm. where you— major bones, which yeah. is largely a network. Mm-hmm. There are ways in which this is like, you can watch an episode of High Fidelity and be like, ooh, that's just, this feels like Fleabag. This feels like, right. this could only have been made in the last couple of years, you know what I mean? Where it's just this real energy. But then there's a lot of like, high keep, like very professional like storytelling going on and just very like, you guys, you. we have to spend time with Jake Lacey so that we have an investment in him and we yeah. get, there's little details about him that are like, that guy has a car. That guy gets his dry cleaning. Like all the things that tell you everything about a character without needing to have a flashback necessarily or have like a, yeah, a monologue yeah. or whatever. Yeah. So, you know, this show originally, like you said, was picked up by Disney Plus and, and you had been working on it. But what were like, what would, what would be a difference in the making or writing of this show 
that we wouldn't know about that's, like, massively different than, say, working on Ugly Betty or working on City of Affairs or anything. I can tell you exactly why. It's that we got the chance to break and write this entire season before we started shooting. Okay. And, like, I'm in the room on a Showtime show right now that we are doing the same thing. And to be able to plan ahead and look at all 10 episodes and then say— you know, mm-hmm. what we need to do is plant that he got his dry cleaning. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. when you're on a network TV show, which, P.S., I think you can make really good network sure. television. Yeah. I am not, like, an anti-network person at all. The challenge with it is you're constantly catching that train. Mm-hmm. Yes. You know, like, you shoot something in 10 days. And your job at that point is to make one hour of quality television because the script needs to be delivered, you know? And when you get to episode 20, maybe you wish you'd set something up in episode 10 and you can't go back and change that, you know? So it Mm -hmm. is a bit of a different art form. In this case, you know, we were doing five hours of television with Sarah and I kept joking, like, what a break. That's amazing. (laughs) We usually do 22. 24 hours of TV or something. I was like, five hours, guys. Five (laughs) hours. This is going to be easy. Um, So we got to really plan the whole season. And from the beginning, Sarah and I knew kind of where we wanted the season to end, which I'm not going to say. Sure. No, yeah. Don't spoil that. (laughs) That's right. But it's good. Um, Where we wanted the season to end, where we wanted the different love interests to kind of make appearances and stuff like that. But having a chance to go back and add those details and know that we Mm -hmm. did have the time to take a break and, like, episode eight is all from another character's point of view and it does not advance Rob's stories forward at all. It actually takes place in the same timeline as episode seven, which I had, like, a lot of charts on the board and it was (laughs) awesome. (laughs) The writers were like, I don't know, Veronica. I'm like, I believe in you. You can do this. It's it's three (laughs) hours. We go back in time. Um, But you get to know that all that works mm-hmm. before you start shooting, you know? Yeah. So yeah. that's the biggest advantage. Did you yeah. ever feel any old behaviors creeping in where you're like, oh, yeah, wait, I don't have to do it that way? Well, I think one of the things that were, like, just from the beginning we had to kind of break ourselves of is the idea that, like, you have to stuff in a lot of story yeah. to mm-hmm. get things out. And I think that it's that luxury of— oh, yeah, we can just spend one episode on putting together a playlist or we can Mm -hmm. spend one episode on taking a ride uptown to try and buy a record Mm -hmm. um, collection and that it doesn't need to have a million drops or have a lot of things going on to keep it busy and to keep the viewer engaged because the story and the storytelling is is really doing that for you. Yeah, and uh, you also completely— I mean, there's so many different ways this can go, and I'm sure you guys have had great experience with this and bad experiences with this, but, like, you really can't beat the casting. And when you get, like, this group of people together that you have on this show, from the love interests to the people working in the record store to Mm -hmm. the people coming into the record store to, like, Parker Posey showing up and, you know, I mean— Tell me a little bit about the casting process, but tell me a little bit about especially the group dynamic that you guys were looking Uh, to put together. Well, as you ask that question, it makes me think, like, we were so lucky. We had all those episodes written when we did the screen test. So David Holmes was able to do that monologue from episode eight Mm -hmm. for us. As opposed to when you're casting a pilot, he would have had just these tiny little scenes with Rob, you know. So we were able to give everybody the scenes that we thought were most important. We actually rehearsed the scene in the screen test of both of the love interests Mm -hmm. Finally meeting each yeah. other for mm-hmm. the first time, mm-hmm. and we saw the dynamic, which was just electric between yes. those between actors, Kingsley and Jake. It's like the two. I think the thing with, especially with that scene, and but with that whole relationship, you know, we always said as we were writing this and breaking this season and and figuring out who these two like main love interests were, mm-hmm. that they can never feel alike. 
but they have to both feel incredibly viable for yes. her. Yeah. And, and I think Liam as well. And li- everybody and that she meets is viable. Yeah. And yeah. the problem is hers. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, and, and you never know if you cast one actor who's just so dynamic and then, you know, the other one just kind of falls by the wayside and being having that luxury of getting to do the scene with the two of them in that first read, you know, was just like, okay, great. We know, we know that we have two guys who are going to be fantastic at this. Yeah. And so when you, I guess my, my sort of final question is in the same way that you had to sort of, you got, you had the freedom of working in this new way. What were some of the, the ways in which you mentioned before you had to adjust the role that music obviously plays in society, the fact that it's largely moving digital. I think the fact that Rob is running a record store actually says a ton about Rob now Mm -hmm. rather Uh than what it meant in 2000 or 1995. For For the book, it's kind of like, well, this just makes complete sense. You know what I mean? Yes, like, you know, yeah. like, you know, like that, that's where we have, everybody goes to get records, you know? Yeah. Like, but now it's like almost this like, I refuse to change, you know yes. what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I am like kind of an old soul and this is just the way it's going to be with me. And that's the way she's kind of like going into these relationships is this kind of like, I there are certain things that I guard that I'm not going to budge on. Yeah. But, you know, obviously playlists come into it and people are talking about the way that the industry is changing within it. What kind of like crash course did you have to do on that? And how did you kind of bring that into the show? Well, I think, you know, we already list, we just operate the same way that everybody does. We all listen to Spotify. We all make playlists and share them. You know, there was no real crash course and how do people do that? But I think there's an additional thematic layer to this show that they didn't have the advantage of in the previous iterations because... Rob is stuck in the past. She's stuck in the past in her relationship. Mm -hmm. She can't move on from her exes. You know, that's Mm -hmm. what the whole first season, if not beyond, is about. And the fact that this record store gets to be this physical externalization of that theme of, like, here she is. They sort of refuse to let other people in. They refuse to— Go visit the coffee shop and the gentrification that's happening (laughs) in the neighborhood. They're always pushing back against that, and it creates this nice dissonance that gives us a lot of comedy between the record store and the outside world, you know, and this Peter Pan complex that— Rob suffers from, I think Simon and Sharice suffer from as well. Oh, Sharice sure. is afraid to move forward in just like taking risks in her life and pursuing what she really wants. And Simon has actually the exact same problem that Rob does, even though they have no concept that they have yep. the same problem and yep. would absolutely <laughs> never talk about their uh-huh. emotions. <laughs> they both are afraid to move forward. So that's sort of what I see the record store representing. Definitely. I think it's this kind of romantic view of the past yeah. almost and that like, you know, that was a better time. This is a better way to do things, whether it's vinyl or it is dating in the way that, you know, they want to date. The idea of swiping right is just horrifying to them. Swiping left, swiping right. Um, and <laughs> um, But I think that that is like, it was something that we really brought in when we started talking about it, getting ready and prep and production, just that these are people who kind of wish they had been born 15 years earlier, mm-hmm. but aren't. So they're just going to live out that kind of romantic oh, I mean, lifestyle. But that was like the case in like 95 is when you would come across somebody who was just like, nope, it's CBGBs in the 1970s. Yes. That's when time ended. Yeah, totally. And I wear a leather jacket <laughs> totally. and I just listen to the Ramones <laughs> and that's just who I am. Yeah. Um, well, I, like I said, it's such a, a really delightful and really, really beautiful show. So I'm really glad. You guys were able to come on the watch and talk about it. Sarah and Veronica, thank you so much for stopping by. Thank you so much for having us.